Lord, we thank you for the morning you have given us, this new opportunity of life, of worship, how gracious you are. Thank you, be with us this morning as we explore your word, what you have said, and how you have meant us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. Good morning, church family. I'm glad to be here again. Let's see if we can finish this on time. Um, I will be taking questions during the Sunday school on behalf of my lovely wife. I thought I was not going to do it. I said it to her. She said, no, you have to do it. So it doesn't matter if I don't finish. There will be time afterwards to continue. But let's go over some of the topics we have been talking on what has been called a cultural war on men. And not only men, on children and on, on boys, and all the step to just dethrone the hierarchy God has established for us, right? The order of things. What are some things that we have talked about? Well, Mark or Eric, I know you've been... Eric, somebody said you are the only one present in this room by the likes of the recording that they made. So... <laughs> And I said, no, more people talk. He was just in the front. So what can we say? What have we talked about? What kinds of war, what fronts have we been fighting? Just mention one. I continue with the other ones. Was that? Masculinity. Let's, say, let's start with that. Masculinity, right? We see masculinity as we, not, we don't. We're reformed, right? So we don't see it as toxic, but we see masculinity or it's been that way in a couple of dec- the last decades, right? What else? That is great, because we are seeing what I, I like to call a splinter. We do not like to talk biblical language, and we are triggered. I hate that word, but it's, it, it encapsulates the reality of it. So this is finishing sexuality. Uh, I changed the word a little bit if we had um, younger people here, and I I was speaking about that to my wife in our way here, because she said, you know, you kept mentioning that word, and they were little kids in the room, and I'm like, but why is it that bad? And you remember what I was saying in the Sunday school? We see it as a dirty word, and she's not necessarily wrong about it in the sense that that has been the way she has been brought up, like just a little understanding where she came, she came from a fundamentalist Baptist background. So, sex, it is a dirty word. It, it is, we need it because we need kids. That's it. We don't mention it. And if our kid asks, we run away and trying to change the topic, right? So, to finish that, the household is bound up with the family, something that develops over time. It is a living organism. 
and it's beautiful. It develops through stages. A couple gets together, they form a life together, they build a world around themselves, they bear, bear children that they welcome into that world, and they accumulate possession. And let's talk about this a little bit. And influence, possessions and influence within the world. In all of these ways, that's the household growing. The household is the realm that is created around the family, the orbit that it creates around itself, through the gravity it asserts upon its surrounding. There's a lot, of here, a lot of things here, but let's talk about a little bit when it says they accumulate possessions and influence. It has been my mission. I moved recently to a new neighborhood. It's the first time I do it, and I've been looking at some of the dynamic that plays out on new neighborhoods because I, 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 I had a house in, in where I come from, Puerto Rico, and it was an older neighborhood. People already established there. And they don't talk to each other mostly. It's just a new guy that probably is going to leave or whatever. But in this case, people are more open probably because they know where everybody's new. So you're new, I'm new, I know nothing of Berryville, which is where I moved recently. And it's been very good and very ripe for harvesting and just talking about the gospel, inviting people over. We have people over almost two to three times a month, which is, has been a blessing. And people, now we see a war on possessions. Like if we try to defend our possessions, we're saying we hate our neighbor, and if somebody comes to rob our house, I've seen this argument, and we try to defend our house, we love our possessions more than we love our neighbor. No, that guy is... One thing, it's threatening my family and the things that the Lord has provided for me. And he's breaking the law. So a family accumulates, accumulates possessions. And more important, it accumulates influence. A family, a Christian family needs to be known. My neighbors know where I'm here, that I'm here right now this Sunday. They don't know probably where I go to church, even though I have repeated it multiple times, but it's so far away for them that probably they'll forget. But even my next-door neighbor yesterday, he knew I was in Presbytery. He doesn't know what it means. He probably will ask at some point, which is great. But it's influenced that they know what I'm doing, where I come from, that is different, and they, we are a beacon of light in such darkness. The household is and we need to take this seriously. We, we think this is private. It is not. Everybody's looking at you. So accumulate possessions and influence around yourself. And be good steward of your possessions too. There's nothing worse as a Christian in debt. That everything that he has is not his. Because he owes it to somebody else. We learned that that is a way to pacify men that, I don't know what this, this is not working, but come on, man, help me here. Huh. Give me a second. I think my computer just froze. It's Windows, I'm sorry. <laughs> I see. Huh. 
Okay, let's go Manon. So, the reason for the hate that the society has for sexuality, sex, is that Satan hates sex. There's no evidence for any love towards it. Sex was meant to knit two people together and fill the world with more servants of Christ. Satan used it to alienate people and fill the world with more slaves of lust. This is very important. I've been reading a book called Irreversible Damage, wrote by an unbeliever about the transgender craze. One of the things she mentions is even the mockery of marriage is baseless. People are not having sex at all. They mock marriage, and they say one night standoff is the way to go, is how to enjoy sex, when in reality, they are not having any. So, let me see if I can move this computer a little bit here. There you go. So, moving on, how many times have we heard this? And I keep saying masculinity, manlyhood, manhood, biblical manhood. How many times have we heard, so you're saying men are better than women. Anytime we mention the bat word, hierarchies. So basically, God's order of creation by division is not a separation into kinds, but into hierarchies. And all of it is pre-fall. If it's not a separation into kinds, we can put humans where? We are what? <laughs> that's, not the, that's what the world wants to put us. But then they get mad when, they, when we call them stupid or not because they have value, right? So they get offended. Because in reality, we have value. God has given us that value. So, what's that? We should be at the top, right? We are at the top, but just a little bit downward, right? Because authority flows downward from God to Christ to man. And his wife. Like in the Trinity, the difference between man and woman is economical, not ontological. Not you. Can somebody explain that? Like, can you see that? I did that for you. <laughs> it's 28 now. Like in the Trinity, I'll do better next time. Uh, like in the Trinity, the difference between man and woman is economical, not ontological. Can someone explain that? Brian is moving his, in his chair. He may have an answer for us. And does it mean that man has more value than woman? <laughs> no, because the ontological is in being. We have the same value, but it's economical. In a, and I will put here an analogy. My boss is a deacon, right? And I'm his elder. He has made vows to be under the rulership and the oversight of the elders of the church. But at work... He calls the shot. He says where I'm moving, moving to, like we did last week. We have a new project. He said, you're moving here. He asked, but he didn't have to because he's my boss. He's just being decent. 
But he asked me if I wanted to move from project. I knew that was not a question. Um, but I said, yes, let's move. He calls the shot, and it's an economical hierarchy that I signed in. He has more value than me at work economically. And I decided to submit to him under a contract. Same thing that happens under a woman and a man. We are of the same value, but God has said in his hierarchy, woman is to be under man and submitted to him. Forcefully? Not right. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife and her, is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, bore but woman for a man. This is like speaking bad words to a word that are, by, a, by a world to a world that already hates us. Right? First Corinthians eleven three and eight through nine. Moving forward, pay attention to this. The animals were subject to the rule of mankind, and yet we find a serpent counseling the woman. The woman was meant to be the helper to the man's work of representing God, and yet she encourages him to rebel against God. And Adam, the Lord of creation, whose wife should have heeded his counsel, instead heeds hers and uses the authority delegated to him to set up his own kingdom instead of God's. So what happened? The serpent became our Lord. The woman stayed in the same place, but she's counseling us now. And where we are now, this was the start. And the attack that we're receiving now is just the same. Yes, ma'am. I mean, the command was given to man, either way, to, to, to mankind. So, we have to know that this command was given to both of them. And let's say that was the case. It can't be the case because man is a federal head. The instructions were given to him. She made it clear. And what was the what was he supposed to do in the case that he would be a federal man, a perfect man, right? In this case, what would be the what would he should have done in this case? Have we had the situation in the family every day? <laughs> it happens all the time. It does. But God gave Adam Eve because he needed help. You're getting ahead. We're we're getting there. We're getting there. Correct. 
And we fell on who? On who we fell? On Adam. We didn't fell on Eve. Right. It, the, the curse came because, not because of Eve's um, sin, sin mm-hmm. but because of Adam's Correct. So the responsibility is completely under who? Adam. The man. It is today the same, same thing. We are responsible for our families. And we are to pray for our families. And we are to lead our households completely. The reason for the hate, Satan undermines the ordering principle of the cosmos, the household. By separating the household, he keeps mankind from kingdom building, establishing his rule. On earth, he knows he lost the battle. He's just trying to delay the inevitable. Now we're moving. I had a like an intercession to go into this, but it would have taken too much time, which I just wasted. <laughs> um, but uh, entering in, in, a, in the last attack, like immediate attack that we are seeing, now we are we're having the wolves within the church, which, which is a effeminate church. Recently we saw a, there was a, an article, a mini documentary, where this pastor is coming under attack as he's trying to do what he believes is kingdom building on his county, his city, right? And not talking, not focusing on that, but focusing on the people, this, this news channel, who they brought as a, against him. It was another church. Who was the leader of this church? A woman. A Unitarian, by the way. And the church, they showed quickly how it looked. It had... Um, the glass, if somebody can give me the name of stained glass with the lesbian, uh, with the gay um, flag and the pride flag and all that. So we see now how the church have been, have become, not all of us, we're here, we're still here, we're still teaching biblical masculinity and the hierarchies and our purpose here, but it has been introduced into our church. The church of all places should, should not just welcome patriarchy, the rule of fathers to magnify the name of the father, but to celebrate it, to cultivate it, and teach it. Not, about, not all of us here are on the same season. Some of us already have kids in university. Some of us have kids already that are married with kids. But it is a call to every Christian, and this is a parenthesis because I, I did not add this to the presentation in every season, we have the opportunity to reach men. Either by discipleship, or just by talking to your neighbors. But we have an opportunity to raise up godly men in some way or another. Indirect or direct. I put, uh, somebody posted this um, school last Sunday. And I received messages from this area from men looking for guidance. And I know the OBC is full of those men. So we need to step our game in discipleship and getting kids that are fatherless to know the truth of what is biblical manhood. So the conflict between church and manhood, the rejection of biblical doctrine and anthropology, the nature of men, 
Christian men are asked to see themselves as androgynous spirits trapped in bodies that, unlike women, have nasty sinful urges, like the word sex, because we enjoy it, right? So we're dirty. So the rise of the white knights. 10-10, almost there. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pick up the pace. The rise of the white knights, because I want to give, give some solutions. I put a milady over there. Somebody have seen that before, that term? The milady? You've never heard it? So it's a joke to what people refer to as neck beards of white or white knights, which in reality is just men that are trying, they, they see women as less, and they see themselves as saviors, but in reality they're effeminate, they haven't had dominion over their lives, usually they are fat, and it's a reality, that's why they call them neckbeards, because they have no dominion over themselves or anybody else, so if you don't have dominion over the individual, you will not have dominion over a family, you will not have dominion over a church, you will now have dominion over your neighborhood, right? So the nice guy, so to quote Spurgeon, because it was already happening in 1875, they are depending upon female approval for their sense of self-worth, self-worth and self-security. Security, I'm sorry. The nice guys, because they see themselves as nice guys, they see every evil woman as a damsel and good men to be dragon. He assumes women are of a higher and pure spiritual nature than men that need to be rescued. And to hit the nail in the coffin, this type of man is a byproduct from us, the church. The church effeminate. A byproduct of the effeminate church. This type of effeminate church that strives to include anyone agreeable, regardless of error, strive to exclude anyone disagreeable, regardless, regardless of orthodoxy. We see this everywhere. We don't like biblical lingo, right? We have to rearrange because now it's getting offensive, right? So we create this type of men that are the nice guys. And why is the, why, why is the problem that the church have become effeminate? Because it's woman nature to remove discomfort, to nurture. That is completely natural, and it's fine. It should be that way. But it should be a balance between man and woman. Right? Somebody not in accordance with that here? Well, we can have a conversation, right? But there's a, I, I heard a video recently where the good mother, in the end, always fails. Because the kid that was nurtured has to be put into risk and introduced to chaos. He needs to dominate. You understand this? Aggressiveness, as we talked about last um, Sunday school, is a manly trait and is good in biblical terms. We are made that way. The reality, Christianity requires discomfort because it requires Discipline. We love theology, but we don't apply it to our lives. Nobody knows what's happening in our private lives, and I, I wouldn't try to assume. But I've met friends who are all for theology, and their lives are broken. They are childs. 
They just stuck. No discipline seems pleasant at a time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 12:11. One of the things that I will mention here is that coming from, uh, and this is not a, an attack on the OPC or the Reformed faith. I love the OPC and I love the Reformed faith, and I'm here to stay. But I've never seen so many awkward childs in a congregation. It's terrible. And then I see adults in the same way, and I'm like, whoa, what happened here? Somebody missed a step here in manliness and fatherhood. It's very difficult to approach them. It's very difficult to have a conversation with them. They don't look you in the eye, and they cower. Everybody's silent now. What's happening? Again, I'm, I come from a Baptist background. I, I, like I mentioned to Brian, still, Brian, I, I, um, I moved to the Presbyterian faith as conviction. I was not born here, and uh, I'm not saying I'm better than anyone, but it's, it's things that one notices. Again, sin does not eliminate, like we said last time, five more minutes. Two of men's strongest instincts are to elevate women since they're they are our glory, and to defend them since they are our weaker vessel. But when we corrupt that, we have the nice guys, and we have the incels. What is incels? Uh, incel is a shortened for involuntary, involuntarily celibate. Have you heard that word? Have you guys heard that word before? So this is a new term for people that are, are nice guys, They couldn't conquer a woman because the woman is the mission. They, they confuse the mission to be a woman, and they become bitter and resentful because they couldn't get it. So now the fault is not theirs. It's the woman's. So they are, again? Not their fault, but the woman's. You see, you should see Internet insults talking about this. It's very funny and... Alarming at the same time. We have a vicious cycle. Social instincts are trained towards conforming everyone to, to be agreeable, approved behaviors, rather than the true offensive doctrine. We are left with two apparent choices, which is man is trapped in a, in a, in a, it's a trap spirit, we're dirty, or we have real toxic masculinity, which is man is a biolo biological machine. We And we see this in men. They just want sexual encounters, one-night stands. They don't want to have kids. They don't want to have family. This is all that manhood is about. Let them reach 60 and be alone. And let's start, see if I can power through this, um, some solutions to the whole debacle. So fathers, no one is born a man, a father, or a patriarch. And a man in a sense of Being a man, not a man of biological, what I, is what I mean here. To achieve this, he needs to love and discipline of a father to guide him. To become a father, you need a father. If you don't have a father, look for a mentor. If you don't have a mentor, look harder. There are good men in church. Fatherhood is not a method, metaphor for, that we apply to God. When Jesus calls his God is Father is not anthropomorphic language. Rather, when we call our Father, that is a theomorphic language, God. It is the 
God is the archetypical, archetypical father. Sorry for my my tongue slipping there. When somebody says "grow up," what do they mean? It's literally meaning get gravitas. And what is gravitas? A virtue referring to a man's seriousness, dignity, and weight. Have you seen this kind of man? Have you met this kind of man before? Because I have. And it's a pool. And it's a, uh, you want to be like him. Sometimes this kind of, kind of man can be in the world because we are confusing what we believe is self-seriousness or a charismatic person. And we believe it's just a man with gravitas when in reality... It's just a facade. But a biblical man strives to get this. The problem with this is that it can't be bestowed. It has to be recognized. Someone like me has to come drooling and say, that is a good man. He can't say, I am a good man. Because then it will be pretentious, right? It has to be recognized. And I'm out of time. Charisma, like I said, can be mistaken mistaken for gravitas, self-seriousness. Can be mistaken by gravitas. We see this kind of man that can't take a joke. That is not gravitas, and it's all temporary because those people are very fun to be around with, right? And gravitas, is re- in reality, is the fruit of just imaging God. Some characteristics of a man with gravitas. He fears the Lord. He gives and receives instruction and rebuke. So as to become more like his heavenly father. Right now we're in a stage where men don't like to be rebuked. And everything is seen as a bad criticism. When in reality even bad criticism is good. Because it makes us see within ourselves. And even if it's wrong we say, hey that was not true. But we look within and try to fix things according to the word of God. He hates evil, especially pride, arrogance, and perverted speech. He is content to be made low because he understands how he compares to God. That should be a given to reformed folks, right? And he trusts the Lord. If you fail as a Christian, you fail as a man. Men are to be holy. We are to have wisdom. Know and act accordingly. We, are have, we have to apply this wisdom to worksmanship, which is put our wisdom into action, develop abilities that God has bestowed upon your, to exercise dominion. Does that mean that me as a software developer can have worksmanship? No. My hands are my tools, and I will do as best as I can to people to recognize that I'm working not only for them, but to the glory of God. And sorry, I'm... Missing the time, trying to finish this. And strength, which is assert rather than retire, conquer rather than surrender, do and dare, penetrate and divide, overcome, shape, prevail, subdue. Stop seeking praise. Stop being self-deprecating. Quick, everybody, does, does no, every, nobody hears, somebody here knows what self-deprecating means? What's that? Quick. 
put yourself down. We are experts on that. I'm such a bad man. I don't know how to do this stuff. Stop doing that. That's not biblical. Get better. Stop making excuses. Stop breaking promises. Envision a plan. Build, supply, guard, and fight. And some traits of masculinity, along with gravitas, we are entrepreneurial. Nailed it. Constancy and readiness. <laughs> and uh, I'm almost done. So a mission is your best effort at wisely integrating your interest. Some false claims that we, when we think about our mission is, the mission must be spiritual in all the sense of the word. What I mean is, we have to be old pastors in church, like a teacher, like a teaching elder. It's not true. We are old pastors in our families, in our jobs. The kingdom is everywhere. Everywhere is an extension of the kingdom. The mission has to be epic, false. What you do, do it right. The mission needs to be to have a detailed map. And to give, I will give, uh, to this I will give just a short summary, which is, for the perfectionist, it's all or nothing. And usually, they are very comfortable at doing nothing. And the fraternity, and I'll jump through this just mentioning that men need to be together. We need friends Um, and Ecclesiastes, for the excellence of, uh, or the goodness of fraternity, marriage, as I have mentioned before, mission is not the woman. The woman is an asset to the mission. She is to help you achieve what God has put you here to do in your neighborhood, in your jobs. And nothing multiplies the mission like a woman. Nothing consumes the mission like a bad one. She is second rail, running parallel to fraternity that supports him, carries him forward, and keeps its mission unchecked. He who finds a woman, a, finds, a good th- uh, finds a wife, finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22. And again, since a woman is a complement to the mission, she cannot be the mission itself. Some key principles. Men should generally have missions before they seek a wife to magnify it. Woman, and this is a general principle. It's not, it didn't happen for me. I'll be very honest. It didn't happen for me. I didn't have a clear mission. I just, I just knew at that time that I wanted to be a provider. Maybe that was a mission, um, but it was not a godly mission. But it, this, this is a generality. If you're listening to this right now, there's, there's a time to fix it and correct it so you can not commit the same mistake most of us have done. Women will generally desire a man who is ready on a mission, a man who carries her along because he is already going somewhere. Sorry. And this is the two last things that I want to say. The state of your life might not be entirely your fault, but is entirely your responsibility. That's what it means to be given dominion. And secondly, it is good to be a husband, but it's better or good to be a man first. And this was uh, based on um, the book, It's Good to Be a Man. Some people don't like Michael Foster, so I try to be as, uh, as concise as possible, because so, this is a universal truth that needs to be taken and speak, spoken at the church, right? Um, so I try to take 
the, the general truth of the book and present it to you, brothers and sisters, so we become godly families. I hope you have enjoyed this, so let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this Sunday school. You have given me the opportunity to bring our brothers and sisters not only the word, but the word explained and the word talked and applied principles. We thank you for you have given us this good church where we can openly talk about masculinity without fear of being chunned. And we ask of you that you raise godly men, not only here but in Acacia, as they look for godly men to be elders. We ask of you that you be with us during this worship service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.